0: There's nothing worse than going to your car and finding that your stereo has been stolen. And there's a hungry bear in your car. That would be worse. That's true.
1: But uh, if you're trying to protect your car stereo, uh, Todd here has a tip.
2: I did a lot of research, and and basically uh, my car stereo has a removable face, and when I leave the car, I take that face off and I replace it with a piece of uh, black cardboard that has wires sticking out of it. So... (laughs) It already looks like it's been stolen.
1: So it, it looks uh, so the wires sort of jut out, so it looks as if somebody had already pulled a, a stereo out of there.
2: Yeah, basically, it looks like it did when it got stolen the last time. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so if we want to make one of these ourselves, how do we do it?
2: Uh really? It's it's pretty simple. You just take a piece of cardboard or you know something that's probably black would be ideal. Sure. And then cut a little hole in it and just stick some wires in there. Multiple colors, you know, is what, what you would find behind the stereo. So that would probably make it a little bit more believable.
0: Yeah, right.
2: I had, the, uh, had my car stereo broken in two twice, and the same stereo stolen twice. Uh, so I figured there was it was time to, to find a, a way around that.
1: It makes me think you could you could take this whole idea,
0: and and protect your car completely. Yeah, I mean, what if you could remove the steering wheel? And just put a bunch of cords and wires hanging <laughs> yeah. out there. That that could work. Maybe the engine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. How strong are you? I don't think I'm that strong.
1: I, I guess there's a point where you can protect your car so much that you eliminate the convenience of having a car. Pretty much. Okay, so we just, we just finished up talking to Todd, and Lorna is here working the board, and Lorna, what did you say?
3: I, uh, I have a friend who had a car stolen, and she reported it, and they found it a few hours later on the shoulder of the Eisenhower Expressway. Yeah. Called her, told her it was there, and by the time she got a tow truck out there to pick it up, it had been stolen again. <laughs> <laughs> was it a really nice car? Um, I think it was a Cutlass. I mean, it, okay. wasn't, it wasn't, you know, really Zoomy or anything. So um, after that experience, she went to the DMV and got a personalized license plate that said, OK, enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, we'll tell you how to order water at a restaurant.
1: But first, a previously unknown species of tick, of blood-sucking tick, was recently discovered uh, in an unusual place. Tony Goldberg is a veterinary epidemiologist. He's the one that that found it. So, Tony, tell us about your
4: tick. I travel to Uganda twice a year for research on zoonotic disease, diseases that are transmitted between people and animals. And that work takes me into the forest in a beautiful part of the country in the west called Kibali National Park. So I had just returned from a trip in June of 2012, uh, and I was back in my lab, and I, I noticed a slight pain in my right nostril. Okay. And this had happened to me before, twice, when I was in Africa. So I, I had experienced it enough to know what it was. And I, uh, with the help of a flashlight and a mirror, I confirmed that it was indeed the infamous... Kibali nostril
1: tick. Ooh. Kibali uh, nostril tick.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what that's what I'm calling it now.
1: And wh- when you're talking about the what, what's unique here, it's it's the fact that it gets in your nostril. That's right.
4: Okay. That's right. Okay. So uh, you know, other, I, I'm, I'm aware that ticks can get all sorts of places,
0: but <laughs> sure.
4: th- these these ticks uh, appear to go into the nostril and not just into the nostril, but way the heck up there.
0: So. First of all, how long was it between your time in the jungle to the time you noticed that there was something wrong with your right nostril?
4: About four days. Oh, so, wow. I, yeah.
0: So you said it was pretty far up there. If you were yeah. to kind of chart out your nose, like the, the, the tip of your nose up to the bridge between your eyes, how far up was it?
4: It was uh, just at the level where the cartilage turns into bone.
0: Wow. Dang.
4: So the, yeah, osteocartilaginous junction, I believe it's called. Oh. And that, that's not as high up as some other folks have, have experienced these things. So I, uh, after publishing this article, I heard from a lot of my friends who work in the same site, and a surprising number of them have also had nose ticks, and uh, they describe them sometimes as being so far up that there's just nothing they can do about them. Mine was just low enough that I could grab it, but for those who can't, the only choice is to let it feed to repletion and drop out, which uh, happens, you know, during important meetings with high-level officials. <laughs> <laughs> but when I realized that this was not in any database, I contacted my collaborator, Richard Wrangham, at Harvard, who runs the Kibali Chimpanzee Project, and he just happens to have done a study using high-resolution digital photography, where he was uh, using that technique to study the anatomic features of chimps, including things like the, the age of which their molars erupt, you can get that information by photographing baby chimps as they yawn. Huh. So just by chance, he had this wonderful collection of high-resolution digital photographs of the chimps in the area, and we looked at them and found that 20% of the young chimps had ticks up their nose. Wow. Oh. Yeah, so uh, that was the critical insight. We realized, and, you know, people had speculated maybe this had something to do with apes or wild primates, but nobody really knew. Yeah. So we saw those photographs, and we, we then realized that this is not just some tick that gets lost. It's a tick that's actually seeking out the nostril. And it makes perfect sense because chimps are crazy about grooming. They are highly social animals. Grooming serves a hygiene function, and it's evolved to be this social bonding mechanism that's very important to chimp society. So we're thinking that these ticks have uh, developed the ability to go into the nostril to avoid being groomed off.
1: Wow.
5: Because
4: if you're a tick on a chimp, you're not going to last very long if you're just in the fur on the body, so you need to hide somewhere. And chimps do pick their noses, but uh, these ticks can get so far up in there <laughs> that it's, it's they're essentially safe if they can get there.
1: It's just, it's amazing, because, you know, we think about uh, all the places we go in search of discovery. You know, we we explore the oceans and, and outer space, and yet you were able to find something completely novel and new way up your nose
4: sometimes the answers are right under our nose <laughs> yeah,
0: you really know how to pick a winner there don't you
4: <laughs> i've become a, a repository of nasal humor i don't think a <laughs> nose joke i haven't heard in the last week
0: well so given your experience now do you um have you become an advocate uh, of people picking their noses when they <laughs> leave the jungle
4: I, I am remaining neutral on the nose picking issue However, I can, uh, I can say that, having, that this, this experience has only heightened my interest in returning to Uganda, which is a, a marvelous country. And the park where I work is in one of the most biodiverse regions of Africa, a, a unique area called the Albertine Rift. And I think you know, most people would interpret a nostril tick as a negative experience. However, to me, it, it serves as a reminder that we're still understanding and exploring the world's biodiversity and when we find new things even if they're in unpleasant places they give us new insights into the wonderful diversity of nature
1: that is uh i think the most generous thing i've ever heard anyone say (laughs) (laughs) what
4: a great
0: souvenir really
4: Oh, it was terrific. No, I, I, I have all sorts of baskets and and uh, you know <laughs> bowls and and necklaces and things I brought back. But my nostril tick was by far my favorite souvenir.
0: Well, this has been great. Thanks for your time, Tony, and uh, good luck with your your new friend.
4: <laughs> Thanks very much. It's it, 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 it's a famous little friend.
0: Tony Goldberg is a veterinary epidemiologist at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and his tick is a tick from Kibale National Park in Uganda.
1: All right, uh, a little business to attend to. Before we we get to our next how-to, we have a a little correction to make.
0: Yeah, last week on our show, we played a song for Melina, a rare book conservator. And Ian uh, talked about the pages complaining about being bound together. It It sounded like this.
1: You won't keep me in. Old page 31 actually hates 32, but there it is, bound next to it for eternity.
0: All because of Melina. Now, we,
1: we heard from several of you who pointed out uh, pages 31 and 32 aren't actually next to each other in a book. They're on either side of, of the same piece of paper. So, uh,
0: knowing that, we'd like to go back uh, and correct the record.
1: You won't keep me in. Old page 31 actually hates 32, but there it is, bound next to it for eternity.
0: <laughs> Wait, what? No, 31 is the, 31 is the recto.
1: Uh, you're right, Mike, which would make 32 the verso.
0: Right, they're on the same page. It's
1: like I know nothing about bookbinding. What, what was I thinking? To you? So I, I think it maybe it would be better to say it's as if pages 32 and 33 are bound next to each other for eternity.
0: I don't even want to talk about this anymore.
1: All right, we, we always talk about wine. You know, there's this vast variety of, of different appellations and different things you need to know. Beer is the same way, there's just a lot of jargon and different flavors out there.
0: And if you've ever been at a restaurant and you've had to order wine, you can feel pressure. You can feel nervous about making the right choice. Well, we're going to help you feel that same anxiety about ordering water.
1: Ray's and Stark Bar in Los Angeles, California, recently unveiled
0: a 45-page water menu. Martin Rees is the water sommelier for the restaurant. So, Martin, uh, first of all, tell us what does a water sommelier do?
6: Just to give you a little background as well, in Germany, we have 580 different mineral water brands just in Germany. It's, un- and- it's unusual for us to drink tap water, actually, in the restaurant. We all drink mineral water.
1: And can you tell the difference between those 580 mineral no. waters?
6: No. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> Nobody can do that, I think.
1: And I, I have to ask, how, how expensive do these, these waters get? It goes
6: from $8 to 20 and sure, some people think $20 for a bottle of water. Um, but this is like my most expensive bottle of water comes from a glacier. So this water is 15,000 years old. The last time it was liquid was for 15,000 years. Um, I'm treating water like wine. So I'm opening the bottle in front of a guest. I think this is extremely important even because you want to know that this is actually the water what you ordered. Because there are other... Maybe black sheep in this world as well, especially by Voss. Voss is a beautiful big open bottle and you can easily refill that. And I think that is completely unfair that some restaurants are doing this. So therefore sure. I'm taking water very, very seriously. So our bottles will be open in front of a guest, always. We will show the label and then we will pour it like in our water glasses what we're providing for you.
1: And I guess you don't you don't put it on ice.
6: Um, we believe, like, I have to chill down somehow, our waters. Uh-huh. I would not recommend to put ice cubes in it because ice cubes are made of tap water, and you actually, sounds crazy, but you're watering down your water. <laughs> yeah, I know, but Vichy Kailan has such a unique taste. When you put, put and adding ice cubes to it, this water would not have the taste anymore, the taste profile.
0: So, Martin, when you go home uh, after working in the mm-hmm. restaurant and recommending water for people, and you brush your teeth with mm-hmm. with tap water... Yes. Uh, are you always disappointed in the taste?
6: <laughs> yes. This is actually, I'm really using tap water for just breathing my teeth. And for, I even have a filtration system in place actually at my place. Yeah. I'm not using, I'm not using straight from the tap. I have filtrations even on my, on my taps in the morning and even on my shower. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't, I don't want this chlorine taste even on my, on my skin. I am not, I'm very sensitive to Korean.
0: Wow, I don't think I could ever have you over to my house then <laughs> to offer you anything.
6: Please, you can offer me a glass of wine. <laughs> okay, that's true. I love to drink wine.
0: <laughs> have you ever um, been at a place and sent a glass of water back?
6: I'm doing this all the time. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. When I'm going into a restaurant and they're showing me tap water, I'm telling you, you can please remove the tap water right away. I don't want to have that. On my table, because I'm smelling that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm smelling this the whole time then, and I don't want that. But this is my, it's really my favorite, it's just my thing. So if we,
1: uh, I'd love to do a little taste test here. hmm You know, we're in Chicago.
6: And I never had tap water from Chicago, so I can actually not tell you what the taste profile of Chicago tap is.
0: It's not so great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you should know that they dye the river here green once a year. So okay. you shouldn't trust anything you drink. Oh, really? But if uh, if we were to go
1: to the store now and buy two or three different waters?
6: Mm-hmm. I would go even with Fiji and Voss, like two brands, what everybody knows. Just put them right next to each other, and you will see suddenly a difference.
0: Where does, where does Aquafina fit in this? Aquafina spectrum? is tap water. Oh, man.
6: In my oh. opinion, this is the most expensive water you can buy, what you're actually getting for.
0: What about Evian?
6: If you also have mineral water from, from France, totally fine. It is a very interesting note because it goes in this like slither bitter notes and it dries out your mouth kind of. It's really funny. You were talking about water and I'm telling you now it dries out your mouth. But you have a dry mouth feel after Evio.
0: We're going to try these waters.
6: Yeah, you should. And when you want to go crazy, Vichy Catalan. Just buy one of these bottles. Ship them to Chicago and put this into a test as well because this is the highest mineral content water I ever tasted. It's insane in taste. All right. It's super salty. You think you're drinking the Pacific Ocean. Oh my God. Really, <laughs> this is water? You think, yeah, this is water. Well, this is great. Thanks, Martin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. You
1: know what we should do? We should get uh, Peter Sagal in here to taste, taste some of these waters. He loves tasting stuff. No, well,
5: n- n- they're all in little plastic cups that are yeah, identical. So you yeah. remove the whole sort of marketing exactly. bottle thing. It's a blind
1: taste right, test. Right, okay. So visually, do you are, do you any observations about the six waters you well, have
5: in front of you? Well, uh, numbers one through five uh, seem to look like water. Number four uh, seems to be sparkling water. You can tell because it has little bubbles. It's effervescing. Number six down there in the end uh, seems to have something brown in the bottom of it.
1: Okay, so um, and you know, usually we we have you in here. We, d- we just want you to react and describe, right? Uh, You're you your usually
5: it's something disgusting. No, oh.
1: these are not disgusting. We ha- remember we had you in here for ice cream, and that was good. It was really good. You had me in here for poop
0: ice cream. It w- it's poop inspired ice cream. It wasn't actual poop ice cream. Yeah. Um,
1: so uh, yes. why don't you uh, all right take a sip one. and just you know tell us your reaction? All right. This is just this is water number one.
0: Mm-hmm
5: surprisingly, given my history here, that tastes like water.
0: Okay, let's go to number two.
5: All right, number two. Okay, here we go. That's also a glass of water. Very wet in okay. a way that watery, watery, I'd say, in the best way.
0: Okay, let's go on to number three. So we've
5: yeah. As I go down the line here, I should know that I'm getting closer to the brown one and getting a little more concerned.
0: Let's not worry about, let's not worry about any brown water. That's the future.
5: Water. Number three tastes much, again, like water. Uh, I would say and this is a word I'm I'm sort of stump it seems a little softer. I don't know what that ah. means, but That's kind of got a mineraly taste. Kay. I'd say there. I'd say that's mineral water. That's sparkling I'm going to guess that's sparkling mineral water. Okay. It's got a strong mineral taste, which isn't bad. What mineral are you tasting? Wow. Is Thank it you. manganese? Manganese? No. Do you like it? I'm not sure if I like it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's definitely a flavor. Like, I don't know.
0: But does it taste like, does it just taste like water that's been carbonated, or does it taste like water? It definitely has another flavor. I would say that there is
5: definitely a flavor in there that is not simply club soda. There's something else going on there.
0: Okay, number five. This is, uh, we're getting towards the end here.
5: Getting towards the end. We're getting closer and closer to the brown one. That tastes like water. This is not particularly flavorful. I would say, I would say almost that this is
1: probably tap water. I'm going to tell you right now, that was tap water. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. I feel good about that.
0: And you should feel uh, some peace of mind that the brown one is not tap water.
5: Yeah. Is it malort water? Well, let's see. Because uh, that would be my guess, knowing you guys. I always end up with malort. Something, something brown and caramel. Is there like a ah. caramel type water? Did, you, did yeah. you put a little, did you like dissolve something in there? No. No. It's very, I mean, this is very disturbing. Yeah. This is the sort of thing that you drink if somebody who was kind of clumsy was trying to poison you.
0: Someone had left a Tootsie Pop overnight in a glass of water and taken the Tootsie Pop out. That was and that was what was left. Is that what this? That's is? That's
1: not what happened. No,
5: it's, I don't know what that is. Is it? Is it in fact Tootsie Pop?
1: No, it's not. It's Mrs. Butterworth. Is it now? Which is not a water. It's no. syrup. we just wanted to make sure you, you could detect which one wasn't water, and I think yeah. you did. oh uh, yeah, that, definitely the brown one.
0: Well, thank you, Peter. Do you have? If you had to choose a favorite, was there any that? Rose above.
5: I, I, I like number two. If I, you know, if you, guys Aquapana. Were, aqua, Aquapana. if you guys were paying my water bill, I'd definitely go over and have another sip of this.
1: This is good. We are still collecting your Toilets of the Week. Get your nominations to howto
0: at npr.org. On the line with us now is Sally calling from South Africa. Sally, tell us about your toilet. Well,
3: I listen to your show all the time, and I've been so jealous of all the interesting toilets that you've featured. And um, the South African toilets are very boring. You know, they, they do the job, but they're, they're not interesting.
0: Hmm.
3: And uh, we live in a, a rural area. We're about half an hour from the nearest town. But we have one shop. And I haven't been to this shop for maybe five years, something like that. Right. But we went there this morning. We went there this morning for breakfast. And I couldn't believe my eyes because this is not an area that does quirky And I walk into the bathroom, and it's literally the quirkiest toilet that I've ever
0: seen. (laughs) Yeah, tell us what it's like.
3: Well, on the door, there's a a lady and a gent sign. So you're thinking, all right, we're going to share this this toilet. So you you open the door, and then there are are two toilets side by side, very close together, with a very small partition in between. And behind the toilet on the left, there's a a lady sign, and behind the toilet on the right, there's a gent sign. And very amusingly, the toilet on the right, the joint side, of course, has to seat up, and on the left side has the seat down.
0: <laughs> well, it makes sense, I guess, to keep it up that way. If you're a man and a woman's in there, you can still have a face-to-face conversation.
1: <laughs> I, can I ask you: Is, is South Africa is that a, a country where you say the W.C. or the loo, or what do you call it?
3: Um. I'm Quite often it's loo, or it could be often you just say I'm going to the ladies. Okay. We don't say WC very often, though. No. All
0: right. What would you say in would, this case? You wouldn't say ladies, would you? Say ladies and men's.
3: You'd have to, wouldn't you? We'd have to yeah, just say the loo.
0: Well, Sally, congratulations!
1: You have uh, our toilet of the week.
3: Oh, I'm so proud! I took your your reward on behalf of Africa.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> terrific! <laughs> That does it for this week's show. what we learned today, Mike? Well, I learned that, that Tony Goldberg, this uh, epidemiologist, found a new tick just by picking his nose. Yeah. Do you, think that, uh, do you think that his colleagues now are rushing to take their boogers and have them analyzed to see if they're a new species? You know what's the worst? Hmm.
1: Have you ever, like, uh, it seems like every time I'm stuck at a red light, I look over and the guy next to me is sitting there trying to discover a new species. Yeah. Come on, man. Everybody can see you. Yeah. Of all the of all the holes, though, that's probably the best, especially at a red light. How to Do Everything is produced by
0: Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Michael Ford. He says he wants to be our intern so he can improve his resume. I think that just means he wants to use our computer to edit his resume. I got to
1: say, the more fonts you get in your resume... The better that's how you improve a resume get us your questions at howto at npr.org you know we should mention uh, now we're our, our position is still open um, if, you, if you want to get your application in we are hiring a new producer
0: in fact there are you can find this if you search for it online there was at least last I checked a posting on a website that listed this uh, under the category mining and manufacturing and uh, we just want to reassure you
1: very light mining duties Get your applications in. There's more information about how to do that at howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.